y'all to agree with me tonight? Wow. How many felt that when we were praying together? That, that was powerful. I, I really felt the power of God in that. We need more of that. And I think a lot of times churches, we have a lot more authority and power than what a lot of times people really understand. And people aren't really using their authority like they need to. And so let's pray over the word tonight. Lord, I thank you for tonight, I thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering the prayers over this word. I thank you, Lord, for coming upon me and speaking through me everything that needs to be said tonight. I thank you for us being good soil as your Holy Spirit moves upon every person that's going to be listening to this, watching this. I thank you, Lord, for moving upon them in power, that the Holy Spirit moving upon them, they'll sense the presence and power of God. And even where they're at, Lord, I thank you for us being good soil. That Holy Spirit moving upon us prepares our hearts and minds and lives to be good soil. And I thank you, Lord, for helping us have eyes to see and ears to hear and have your heart and mind that this really speak to us and get in our hearts, get in our spirit tonight. And, Lord, as it's like living seeds of truth sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And that everything will be accomplished and through it you will be done. We thank you for it. We believe it. As the winds of your spirit carry this out among the nations. And we, as a church, we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word right now. From getting where it's supposed to or going where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to. Anything that would try to hinder that, we command you are bound and will release and go from it in Jesus' name right now. I thank you, Lord, for getting rid of that junk out of the way. There's not going to be any uh, resistance of the enemy. But, Lord, this will go out and accomplish what you sent it for to do and not return void. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into the word, let me just say something up front that's not in the notes because this is the word of the Lord for tonight. But as we've had this deep consecration type of service for those that don't come here and don't really know what's going on. So the Bible has called us to be a people that are a priest unto God. So in Peter, Peter understood that and he talked about us being like a royal priesthood. And so the way that the priesthood under Aaron were consecrated is that the blood would be applied to their lives. They had like a, a ram of ordination. They had different sin offerings, etc. But the blood would be, would be shed and there would be a cleansing of the blood, okay, that would cleanse them from any spiritual contamination. They also then were water immersed and they had to wash their hands and feet with water and they would be consecrated by water. And then finally, they were anointed with oil. And so this was like an eternal pattern that God set in place that when Christ came, Christ has fulfilled this. And the Bible calls us a kingdom of priests unto God. In 1 John, it says, these three testify, the blood, the water, and the spirit. Now I want to show you how Jesus fulfilled this, and, and it's still at work in our lives today. But when the Jews came three times a year to Jerusalem for the feast, they always would spiritually consecrate themselves. So whenever they came for Passover, that year that Jesus died on Passover, he had a Passover meal 
with the disciples the night of Passover. And then during that day, he died on the cross as the Passover lamb, okay? But when the Jews came to Jerusalem, they would have spent some time spiritually consecrating their lives unto God. And one of the ways they would do that is they would water immerse themselves. And they had these different pools in Jerusalem. They're still there to this day. They would be full of water. They were called mikveh pools. And they would step down in there and they would immerse themselves and they were consecrating their lives unto God. So you see there the washing of the water. And then when Jesus had Passover with them, they had the Passover meal. And it, during the course of the meal, it, it kind of shifted when Jesus took it from, from remembering the Exodus. Now he's, he's starting to reveal himself as the Lamb of God. And he takes the bread and blesses it. And he says, now, you got to understand, they have Passover every year from the time they were a little baby child. So Jesus now is taking the bread and saying, this is my body. That, that was totally new to them. And I'm sure that they all were like, what's going on? Here? And then Jesus took the third cup. There's four of them in the meal. But now he blessed it and said, now, this is the blood of the new covenant. And so as they drank of that, they were not only now remembering the Exodus, now they were realizing that Jesus is the Lamb, and they were taking of something that represented his body and blood. So as priests, Jesus was really moving into that priestly office powerfully. I believe it really started in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating blood, and he was really praying during that time frame. And well, obviously here first at the Passover, but Jesus was really starting to move into his priestly role that he's still in right now. He's in heaven, ever living to make intercession. He's our great high priest. But Jesus moved from being a prophet and operating as a prophet and moving now more into a priestly role that you see here. But he gave them this priestly meal, and so they were washed with water. Jesus washed their feet they would have washed their hands. Do you see the cleansing of the water? And then you see the, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And then on the day of Pentecost, they were anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then they really moved into a, a deep, profound revival that you read about in the book of Acts where even Peter's shadow was healing the sick. And I mean, people, people were coming from all around. So many people were getting saved and just major miracles, uh, deliverances. But this opened up unto them. But see, there was some kind of a priestly consecration. Is this making sense? So I believe this may be something that God's laid on my heart. And I know that there are people listening to this that, uh, you know, this is definitely not going on everywhere. But I just felt that God wanted us to really consecrate ourselves. So we had two weeks of prayer and fasting and in that, we're saying, Lord, if there's any person we need to forgive, any sin to confess, anything that we need to change, show us. We repent. And, of course, we had a sheet of requests we were believing for as well. But when we come together now this night, I call it a deep consecration night, we just took communion, and it was powerful. We spent time with it, really bringing our lives under the blood. And then, of course, my wife and I are going to anoint everybody in the altar time. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray for you. God's going to come upon you by a spirit. And then for those that want to, we have water immersion afterward. And, of course, most everybody always comes. But how many felt the Lord in that water? I'm telling you, the power of God has come down 
And really, I've seen people with my own eyes, I've seen people get healed of things and delivered of things when we have these consecration services like this. All right, so God is consecrating us as a priesthood unto him. We're called to be a kingdom of priests. And so this is something I believe God has put on my heart. Now, there's a phrase, can these burnt stones live? When Nebuchadnezzar came through Israel in the days of Jeremiah, and he, it was a judgment of God. He came in, and I believe Joel was speaking of that sort of that same type of judgment when he talked about the locusts coming in and bringing such a destruction. Okay, and so whenever Nebuchadnezzar came in with his military and he destroyed Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple, and he pulled down the stones and he burned it. Later on, hundreds of years later, we see, I'm rather, I'm sorry, 70 years later or so, whenever Israel began to go back in the days of Ezra and then later in the days of Nehemiah, they began to rebuild the temple and they began to rebuild the walls. But you really see in Nehemiah's writings how much persecution they went through to rebuild. See, God is in restoration but the enemy will resist that restoration with all of his might. And you could see the ridicule. And so as Nehemiah and them were just trying to rebuild the walls uh, with these burnt stones, Sanballat and others were out there and they were mocking them or ridiculing them. What are these feeble Jews trying to do? If they even try to build this, if a fox runs along, it'll just fall back down, just mocking them, ridiculing them doing everything they can to try to discourage them and stop this. And so this phrase comes out of that story, can these burnt stones live again? And so I'm going to read this to you. Nehemiah 4, 2, he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, and this is where he's mocking them, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burnt ones? So in other words, can these burnt stones live again? They're mocking them and saying that they cannot. See, God many times will allow a destruction, and it's not always a bad thing. Because for you to rebuild something correctly, sometimes it has to go through a destruction for the old to die. And I think about the potter's wheel. Whenever uh, Jeremiah was looking at the potter and he built it and it was marred and so what? He had to destroy that and start over again. It's the same thing that Israel went through. In the, when Israel was in Jerusalem and they were worshiping other gods and all of that, it got so bad to the point that God did not feel that anything else could be done except to allow the enemy in to just destroy it completely And then he would bring Ezra and Nehemiah and he would rebuild it properly, you see. And so there has to sometimes be a process that God allows. And we all go through things. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And many times we don't understand the process, but God is trying to clean house and do a work in us to bring things down and out of our lives and then rebuild it properly. So in Joel chapter 2 verse 3, Joel sees a great destruction coming. He says, a fire consumes before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but after this army of locusts goes through, 
it says it will be a desolate wilderness behind them. And nothing at all escapes. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble. Like a mighty people range for battle before them, the people are in anguish, all faces turn pale. So you see a picture of like a destroyer going through and bringing destruction. We do not understand it when these things happen. I know that even Jeremiah, please hear me. In the days of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was so close to God. He walked with God. He loved God. He knew God. But he was so upset to see the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, he wept and he said to, he said to the Lord, he said, why must this happen? Why has it come to this extreme case? That even Jeremiah did not understand this destruction. It deeply grieved him. But God many times has to allow this. And I wonder, I think history will record if if there's anything to this or not. But I wonder if some of the destruction that's been going on in America. Or some of the spiritual destruction that I've seen in this region. I just shake my head. But I wonder sometimes if God isn't allowing some of this to bring things to a place to where it's, it's destroyed, but now he can rebuild it properly with the right um, materials, the right people, the right foundation, that once again God allows it to come down so that something can be rebuilt that actually pleases him. Sometimes things are so corrupt and so far gone that God isn't just going to come in and try to mix into that. He wants it just to be destroyed and he wants to start over. And, I, and we don't really see or understand that process because it's beyond us. Understand his thoughts are higher, his ways are higher, and we just don't understand sometimes in the middle of that. All right, but here's God's heart in that. He allows the destruction, but then Isaiah 61 verse 3, there's an appointed time to restore. And God says this, to grant those who mourn in Zion. That's in that song we sang tonight, isn't it? To those, God will comfort those who mourn in Zion. You see, you know who those who mourn in Zion are? The intercessors. Always remember that. Those that are the mourners in Zion are those that are the intercessors. He said, he will grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that they may, that he may be glorified. So God will give them beauty for ashes. So in other words, we walk upon a destroyed scene, and we look at this, and we're wondering what could ever come of this. I mean, you think about Ezekiel. God took Ezekiel into a vision of this valley of dry bones. And God asked him an insane question, It says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, being a wise man of God, said, Lord, only you know. I don't know. I mean, you look at it in the natural and you see bleached bones that's been there for a long time. And God basically told Ezekiel, not only will these bones live again, but I will make them into an exceedingly powerful army for me. And so this is God's process. We don't understand this process, but it's still very powerful. And God will give beauty for ashes. All right, then in Psalm 102, and I believe this is a scripture for River of Life. 
But you, O Lord, abide forever in your name to all generations. You will arise and look at this, have compassion on Zion. There comes a time when God, yes, he allows a destruction, but there comes a time when God looks upon what has happened with compassion. And I believe that we're coming into that time. For it is time to be gracious to her, for the appointed time has come. Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the first scripture I read in, in Nehemiah? That these burnt stones, torn down, destroyed, but God says that surely your servants will find pleasure in these stones and will rebuild them. And look, it goes on to say, So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth the glory of the, uh, your glory, for the Lord has what? Built up Zion. The Lord will rebuild it, and he has appeared in his glory. So the Lord will rebuild, and it, that reminds me of Zerubbabel in the book of Zechariah. That Zerubbabel rebuilt the second temple, and then once it was rebuilt, put his glory there. All right, so let me say that again. The Lord will rebuild so that he can put his glory there. And so the Lord has built up Zion, he has appeared in his glory, and he has regarded the prayer of the destitute as not despised their prayer. And so River of Life, let me just encourage you that some of you may have felt, you know, who am I to be praying about these things? But look at this scripture. God has regarded the prayer of the destitute, and he has not despised their prayer. God, think about Israel when they were in Egypt, and their groan went up before God. God looks with compassion. So many times the devil will come in to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes if there's uh, things that aren't necessarily right, the enemy can come in and really bring a destruction. But God looks at that with compassion. And God, if we will cry out to him, God will hear the prayer of the destitute. And he will send people like Ezra's and Nehemiah's and different. And he will begin a restoration. And then he will come in his glory. And the God, told them, God told them in the second temple period that even though the building seemed inferior, he said, don't worry about that. My glory will be much greater in this temple. And what would you rather have, the fancy building or the glory? I would rather have the presence of God. I would rather be in an inferior building any day to have God's manifest presence in there. And so that was what God promised Zerubbabel. He said, don't worry about the building. I'll be there in a greater way. And then God's heart to restore the ancient ruins. I look at this, you know, here in this region, but I look at the body of Christ in America, and, you know, things, things have not been going in a good direction for the last couple of decades. Unfortunately, I don't think, in my opinion, that some of the revival that I know that there were some revivals that continued on, but in particular one here in America, I don't feel like it was supposed to end the way it did or nearly as quickly as it did. I think man got in the way and messed it up, but look at what has been lost because revival has been lost. The intercession. We don't see the intercessors like we used to in very many places. Think about the powerful altar calls. Just a few, but I think it was a month ago, actually, I had a service, and I was really preaching it straight, and it happened to be when we did the dedication for Zadok, actually. But whenever we had that, and someone came up to me afterward and said, 
I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated you preaching the way you did. And this is what he said. He said, because you don't hear that hardly anywhere anymore. He said, people are afraid to preach like that now. Listen, I say it's in love. But since when has God called preachers to be these wimpy, pathetic, little fearful hirelings that will not tell the truth anymore? They're man-pleasing. Doesn't the Bible, Paul said this, I cannot be a man-pleaser and be a God-pleaser at the same time. It says that. And that's the problem. Many of them are just now man-pleasers. But what happened to powerful altar calls that called people to repentance? I mean, growing up, we had that all the time. That there would be a sermon, and then there would be a call to repentance. And what happened to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit? Powerful healing ministries and deliverance ministries. Preaching the meat of the Word of God. And also, of course, powerful altar ministries. I kind of remember when that shifted because we could go back in the 90s and the early 2000s. I mean, you, you could go to a lot of things and it wasn't just preaching. I mean, you could really get prayer and it was powerful. But at some point, that waned and it quit being about prayer. And they didn't have altar ministry anymore. There wasn't going to be anybody praying for you. The best thing you're going to get in a lot of places, I mean the absolute best you're going to get, is they're just going to pray from the the pulpit for the group. And you're lucky to get that. But they quit having altar ministry where they pray for people. I don't know why. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, I'm going to give just two more things and then we're going to pray for people. Malachi 4 verse 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. These are the two comings of the Lord. The great day was Jesus' first coming. The terrible day will be a second. And this is about that spirit of Elijah. He said, now listen, when Malachi wrote this, the prophet Elijah was dead already, okay? So when Malachi wrote this, he said, the, the spirit of Elijah will restore the hearts of the fathers to children, the hearts of children and fathers. So I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And let me tell you, I, I have seen, uh, okay, let me go back and rewind this. So the first coming of the Lord, God sent the spirit of Elijah to be upon John the Baptist, and he called people to repentance. I mean, they were coming out, repenting of their sins, getting baptized, and it prepared the way for that great day of the Lord to come. And I believe the spirit of Elijah is coming upon the bride of Christ today and has been for some time to prepare the way for the second coming of the Lord. And I believe that has to do with these revivals that are being poured out because the spirit of Elijah has a lot to do with that revival fire that's being poured out that brings people to repentance. But there's, there's the wise and the foolish virgins. Let me say that again. There are the wise and the foolish virgins in Matthew 25. There's a large group of foolish virgins that literally do not know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon. And even though God plainly said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, they still believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts were died with the apostles. They believe that these revivals are actually demonic. 
Anyway, I could go on a rabbit trail there, but the foolish virgins that don't know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon. And I'm going to tell you, they're in danger at times, the way they talk, because the Bible, Jesus said this, this isn't my opinion. Jesus said, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. And so they need to be careful mocking. That's what John, when he said about praying for somebody, except unless they um, have committed a sin unto death, and then don't even pray for them. And that has to do with that blasphemy of the Spirit. So anyway, just be careful with how you handle these moves of God. Because it is the Lord pouring out His Spirit as He promised He would. Okay? So God is moving powerfully. And here's what I see. The hearts of fathers to children, children to fathers. There's spiritual moms and dads. There's spiritual parents that will invest in the next generation. And it's so important. Please hear me tonight. It's so important that what the previous generation had with God, that they're willing to pass that to the next generation, but that next generation has to be willing to receive it and pursue it. And that's what it's saying here. If you will allow that and you'll press into God, he said, I will not smite the land with a curse, but rather... The Lord promises that he will heal the land in another place. See, the Bible says this. We can, we can look at a land like a geography, and if it's under some type of a curse, everything's withering and dying. People are, are perishing. They're dying and going to hell. There's no real move of God. It's, it's like it's dead spiritually, right? But when life comes into a region, there's revival People are getting saved, there's healing, there's deliverances, and, and there's life. And that's what the Bible's saying there. If you'll humble yourselves and pray and seek my face, and you know, he said, I'll forgive and heal the land, healing the land. But whenever it requires this process too, that what the previous generation had with God is going to be passed to the next generation who will take that on, you see. And that's so important because you can see it in history with, you know, in the days of Wesley and Edwards and all of that, and that kind of waned. But then you see the reemergence of that revival again in the days of Cambridge. And so we could go through history, but in the same way today, we saw these great moves of God in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and they begin to wane in the 2000s. But there's about to be a reemerging of it again. But it's going to be those that humbled themselves and the spiritual fathers imparted to the children and children received it, that is going to be able to pick that up and run with it, you see. And so I think about in our respective situation, if you will, that in this case here, that God has graciously allowed a lot of people to, uh, to impart to us. I think about now looking back on it, how much of a divine appointment it was in 2003, for me to be able to spend some time with Steve Hill, I had no idea he was going to die, and him pray over me and impart, and it was it was incredibly powerful. Now I think about the wonderful people God's had even come into here, uh, you know, people like Lyndall Cooley and people like uh, uh, Sergio Scandiglini and John Davis. I mean, really anointed men of God, but they've come and they've imparted. You see, that's spiritual fathers imparting to spiritual children. And you guys have been really humble and receptive to receive it. And I'm going to tell you something. The time is coming when God's going to release life into this land again here. And there's going to be a major revival. And I believe River of Life will be right in the, in the middle of it. All right. So in the most desperate times, 
revival comes, just like Elijah in the days of Jezebel. Before Jesus' first appearance, revival of repentance came through John, who carried the spirit of Elijah. But before Jesus' second coming, the spirit of, spirit of Elijah is coming upon us as his bride to prepare people to meet the Lord, a remnant bride that's cleansed and ready. And so let me read now Joel 2, and then we're going to pray for people here in just a moment. But Joel chapter 2, the process of restoration. God allows the destruction, but then he begins to look with compassion. And God begins to rebuild Zion and put his glory there. Joel 2.23, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he gives you the former and the latter rains. And he causes to come down for you the rain, the former and latter rain as before. And the threshing floor shall be full of grain and vats overflow with the oil and the wine. And God will restore and replace for you the years that the locusts have eaten. And he goes through the description of the locusts, the great army that was sent. But think about that. God says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Over these last couple decades, there's been such destruction but he says look at this i will restore the years and i will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy your old men dream dreams your young men see visions even upon my men servants upon my maid servants in those days i will pour out my spirit and i will show signs and wonders in the heavens on the earth blood and fire columns of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the lord comes and, who, and this is talking about the days that we're living, by the way. And whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered and saved for in Mount Zion. All right, so as we read through that, I want you to think about this, River of Life. This, for us here, this can apply to people wherever you live. People are hearing this in other countries around this nation. I want you to think about your region. But I know here that God has a heart for this region. And I'd, I'd been focused so much in my prayers on just fulfilling my destiny and the things God said that you're called to do. And so I was so focused on that. And it kind of surprised me when the Lord began to speak to me about the prophecies over this whole region. And, and I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, God does have a heart to see this whole region, the prophecy. Think about that for a minute. The things that God has spoken over this region, he really does want that to come to pass for this region. So, so obviously it's not just for our church. I mean, it's for the whole region, and that includes many churches. And what about the prophecies over America that are legitimate words that God has spoken over this nation? Is it not the heart of God that those things come to pass for this nation? So many times, just like I was in danger of doing, we get so focused on what God has is, is called us to do but God's heart is much bigger than any one person or any one ministry. And so God began to really give me a heart for this region to see the true prophecies over this region come to pass. And there are true prophecies over America. I think about Dr. Cho's prophecy was fulfilled in part. But there's another dimension of that prophecy that didn't get fulfilled at that time. And I think that the reason it didn't, and I say this in love, but I don't think it was God's will that the revival stopped the way it did. I think man missed God, just to be blunt. And now that's plan B. But how many knows that God always has a plan B? And even when man messes things up, God can still come in and breathe on it and restore. And so that's where I believe we're at. I believe God's going to send an intense move of the Holy Spirit. 
I believe he's going to use a new group of people in this. But let me just encourage River of Life. One of the things God's going to do, I'll close with this because I want just to focus on this now and then that's it. But one of the things God's going to do is get things back to the simplicity of the gospel. And what I mean is this, as Satan always does, you know, if you want to distract, how many have had little bitty kids that you've raised or you've been around? If you want to distract them from anything, you just give them something bright and shiny that's going to make a noise or something. Just give it to them, right? And here they go. They're going to focus on it. And Think about what I just said right there. Think about what I just said. So see, the Bible says that we're supposed to be growing up in maturity so we're not tossed to and fro by every wind and every wave. But that hasn't been happening for the last couple of decades. And you've got a bunch of people that may be 50 years old, but spiritually... When the devil looks at them, they're a little bitty crybaby in their little diaper. They got their little rat on their little pacifier. They never grew up in Christ. So what Satan has been doing is he's just giving them something bright and shiny. You know what that is? That's all the smoke and the lights and all the things that attract people. But it has no real substance and power in it. Hello? It's just an entertainment-based thing. It's just a social club. It's just programs. What you're not going to hear about is the sick being radically healed, demons manifesting and being driven out of people, you know, the power of God, the gifts in operation. You're not going to hear about Book of Acts, biblical Christianity, the ministry, the, the, the legitimate ministry of Jesus Christ, the power of God. You're not going to hear about that. You're going to hear about how great the light show was or how great the, the video was or whatever. You know what God's going to do? He's going to come in like he always does, like a big wrecking ball. And he's going to come in, and all of that is going to look as stupid as it actually is spiritually. And he's going to bring things back to the simplicity of his word and the move of his spirit to transform lives eternally. You can go out here with an old, ragged Bible and nothing else. And you could go right out here tonight, and you could preach to people just the word and the power of God fall in that place. Those people get on their face and repent. God move in that place and heal people, deliver people, baptize them in the Holy Ghost. And you'll hear 20 years later how many of them were called into ministry and are still serving the Lord today. Yet, you can go to a lot of places that it's a big entertainment social club thing. You're not going to see that. Or y'all, I know you all know this, but I'm just putting this out there for the larger group. So God's going to bring this back to the simplicity. What, is, what does the Bible say? It says that the gospel is the power of God into salvation, the pure gospel. You don't have to water it down with all these other things. And this is what Jesus said about himself in Luke four eighteen: The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, set those who are oppressed free and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So the Lord has come to deliver the captive, set those free in darkness. But he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. That's what I believe God is saying, that we forget about all these other things that, you know, maybe they have their place, I guess. But we've got to get back to the power of God. I'm going to tell you, I said this to a friend of mine. He just kind of laughed. He's an older 
Pentecostal preacher, and we were talking about the current condition of the church. And I said, the people that you hear give radical testimonies. Maybe, maybe they got hit by the power of God and, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And how many remember the days back in the past, some of you maybe don't, where, where somebody was like that. I couldn't even speak in English. I was speaking in tongues for like 24 hours. You know, or they, they had some radical encounter with God where they were, they were out under the power like Brianna was that time for like four hours. You know, and she was totally healed of something. You hear about these radical testimonies, but what you're not going to hear about is somebody coming out talking about how awesome that, that cappuccino was. <laughs> I was saying that to an old preacher, Pentecostal preacher. He just laughed and said, that's true. You're not going to hear about those type of testimonies, right, about how good the coffee was or, or how, how interesting the video was. People are looking for some type of a life-altering experience with God. Where, where they're transformed, they have an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ for themselves. God speaks to them. God touches them. And it's so deep that they'll never be the same. And those are the testimonies that, uh, going back in my history with Christ, the highlights are the times that God's done those very things. Where my life was transformed. And, and people can go back and talk about testimonies of God, how God healed them or how God set them free from something. That's what we need again. And I believe when the Lord comes in this next revival, that's exactly what it's going to be. And I believe personally, this is my opinion, I could be wrong, but I think that that's why God moved like he did at Asbury because of that reason right there. There was nothing there. It was an old building. I'm not saying it's ugly, but it's not attractive. It's an old building. They didn't even have it set up for the internet, like to live stream. People had to go there with their phones. And they put their little phones on a stand. There wasn't any fancy preachers. There wasn't any big names. You know it as well as I do. It was a bunch of college students with their baseball caps and they were singing with their little guitar on a piano. They didn't even have a, a really fancy band. Yet God came down so strong that everybody there was repenting. They were getting their life right. There was testimonies. People healed, set free from things. People came from the nations. What did they come to see? God. They just want to experience the Lord. Same thing with the Sousa. There wasn't anything there but God. There wasn't anything that would draw somebody that old mission, that old barn with flies, no air conditioning. It stunk, I'm sure. There wasn't anything there attractive in the natural but the Lord. That's what God's going to do again. He's going to bring it back to the simplicity where it's about Him again. Hello? So, Lord, I thank you for this word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you have a heart of compassion, Lord, to rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations and repair the breach, streets to dwell in. It's among those that will pray and fast, like River of Life and others, that, God, you said we will be among those that rebuild those ancient ruins. And, Lord, I thank you for having compassion, Lord, on the, the burnt stones and the dust. Lord, that you would have compassion Lord, and arise with compassion on this region, on this nation. Lord, as you see the destruction that the enemy has done to try to take away uh, biblical Judeo-Christian heritage values, but also true Book of Acts Christianity. 
And Lord, I ask you to have compassion and resurrect those burnt stones again into a dwelling place where you come in glory. And it'll be so powerful that people come from far distances to experience you. And it's about you again, Lord. It's about your name, your fame, your glory. It's not about any person. It's not about a personality. It's not about anything but you. It's your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, let it come back to that again and restore, Lord, the ancient ruins. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name.